Hello there, and welcome to this week's Wolfpack Coronavirus podcast. I'm your host, Peter, joined as always by my two co-hosts, Richard and Aiden. This podcast is going to be markedly different to the previous podcasts. Isn't that right, Aiden? That's right, Peter. You'll have already noticed there is no anecdote at the top of this show, and there'll be none this week. Don't worry, normal service will resume next week, but there's a reason why this is the case. That's right. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week in the United Kingdom. And with the UK passing its 60th day in lockdown on Friday, we felt it important to discuss the mental health impacts of the coronavirus pandemic has has had on all our lives. So this week, we have a special guest. Dr. Colleen Mullen is a therapist based out of San Diego, California in the United States. She has written the book Coaching Through Chaos and hosts a podcast of the same name. We wanted to ask Dr. Mullen about what she saw as the long-term mental health implications of COVID-19, the risks and perceptions around suicides and other harm during the pandemic, and finally, what coping strategies she'd recommend during the current crisis. So sit back, relax, and listen to our debut guest on the Wolfpack Coronavirus podcast, Dr. Colleen Mullen. So Colleen, how would you say that your practice has changed since the start of the pandemic? Okay. So I have been practicing for 18 years. I've been in the field and I've been in my own practice for 13 years, I think. And I thought I was like comfortably full to begin with. And then when I went virtual, I had such an uptick in clients and it wasn't even taking on really new clients. Now I am, now that we're two months into this, I'm starting to get calls for new clients, but I had all sorts of clients that I would see every two weeks, um, all of a sudden want weekly. Uh, I had clients I hadn't seen in a few years call me up and say, hey, can you fit me in? Uh, and so, you know, in the normal course of my practice, right, I deal with people, a lot of relationship stuff, a lot of addiction stuff, trauma, that kind of stuff. And so normally, though, like, it's so like parsed out, like, oh, I talked to so and so about his girlfriend and relationship problems. I talked to this couple about this problem. I talked to this guy about his drinking and all this stuff. And now it's all of that with this cover of all of what's happening around us with the pandemic and the restrictions um, and the prospect of, you know, financial ruin for the country or the world. And to you know, for the people that I am working with so far, most of my people, I'd say, I don't think any of my people have actually, my clients have actually lost their jobs or they're self-employed and kind of managing the fact that this is a temporary, you know, hold on their business. Um, but I do have people that are worried about, you know, their future financial position, about the prospect of making career changes that they were thinking that they were going to make later this year that might not be a good time for them at this point. But what I'm seeing them is just kind of initially managing the isolation, the family stress that comes with being all home together, um, the, uh, the increase in substance use, lots of Lots of drinking, uh, extra drinking is going on. Lots of pot is being uh, ingested. So um, so there's a lot of that going on. So my practice has become like for me, I had to work really hard to manage my own stress through this because not only am I seeing probably 
on average, eight to 10 extra clients a week from what I already considered relatively full for what my emotional capacity was. You know, in the beginning, I just said, yes, these are people that have trusted me to help them in the past. So I'm taking them on and putting them in the schedule and going, well, I'll just figure it out as I go. Um, I've had to really kind of like figure out what works for me as far as a schedule, what works for me as far as self-care, what works for me as far as, um, you know, managing my own sleep, my own relationship and stuff so that I can emotionally attend to my clients while I'm also going through this uh, experience with them, which is also very unusual for the therapist because now like they know I'm also going through it. So it's, um, it's emotionally taxing for everybody. And then for the people in like myself in this field, like we're also kind of going, gosh, like our clients know that we're also stressed out. My clients know that I'm working from home. My clients know all these things about me that they normally wouldn't know about how I may be functioning in the world. So it's been interesting. And so, yeah, so what I've seen is this major, um, increase in services and or need for services and, um, you know, with the same problems, you know, of course, people's problems don't get put on hold. So if you're having a conflictual relationship at home and you were contemplating divorce, well, you're still doing that. Now you're doing it 24 seven together instead of being able to leave the house to go to your jobs. So I'm seeing all this, this, um, kind of like meta problems and like my own experience in the experiencing of their stuff is really quite, quite taxing. So, so, it, and, and what I've seen too in the field, because I'm connected to lots of groups of therapists across the country and things like that um, on different, you know, me, social platforms and um, people are either therapists are either doing as I'm doing and are like super full or they're just the opposite. They were like, well, I am not going to be able to manage my kids and do therapy, which is right. Something that I don't have to worry about. I don't have little kids at home or anything. And so, um, so they've kind of shut down and had to kind of also do that temporary shutdown of, you know, how am I going to take care of this? And, you know, Thankfully, you know, um, there is, uh, they've included um, independent contractors, self-employed persons where into the unemployment benefit system when normally we're not included. So those people have that ability to file for that as a temporary um, uh, help to get them to get by. So on that end, I think that's, in, that's an interesting process too. If your therapist calls you and says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to deal with this. I'll see you in three months. Like that's, I, you know, I mean, everybody has to do what they have to do, but that's a hard thing to do when you're working with somebody who may be very depressed or may have panic attacks or may have had trauma when all of this plays itself out on those people. So, you know, we are obligated to give referrals and there are free clinic type of systems in place here. So I'm just going to assume everybody did that as they were shutting their doors. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it's it's this weird process. Colleen, what, uh, Aiden here. Um, <clears throat> so it's really fascinating mm -hmm. hearing your perspective on all of this. And just, just during this sort of COVID crisis that the whole world is going through, what type of mm -hmm. coping mechanisms are you advising some of your clients? And you don't have to go into too much detail here, but just, just mm -hmm. my take on this. I mean, I, I specialize in, I, I do a lot of sort of uh, work, work on raising awareness about toxic relationships. And, you know, if you're, if oh, you're, uh -huh. if you're in a toxic relationship, as, as some people are, and then you're, you're forced to be locked down with that person, mm -hmm. it, it can almost uh, perhaps be like there's no light at the end of the tunnel because you're, you're actually forced to, 
to be next to this person. So mm-hmm. what type of coping mechanisms right. can you sort of advise? Yeah. In in that regard with the relationship, certainly that's a good point to to pull up to these these toxic, um, unhealthy relationships people are stuck in. There is certainly uh, a great uptick in the amounts of domestic violence happening. Uh, and so, and we have people who are already in violent relationships that are now being, you know, stuck at home with their abusers. Um, so there are still um, those persons still have access to counseling. Um, there are, if they can't speak, if there's no privacy, um, what what we recommend for those kind of things too is like do a walk and talk session. Like, so I'm going to go into other coping mechanisms, but for those people that might be listening since you speak about this is um, do a walk and talk session with a therapist, right? Take your phone with you, put your headphones on and say, oh, hey, I'm just going to go for a walk, you know, if you can leave the house or you're going grocery shopping. And so you sit in the car and um, do your session that that way. So you can get help that way. You can get help online. There are support groups running online, which makes it also easier because you don't have to speak. You can be typing on that regard um, in certain groups. So yeah. there are still certain services available for those. And hopefully they were already connected to those services so that they know about them. But if not, they could um, they could also call, well, sorry, you're in the UK. In the US, we have a, a general number, 211, that people can call to get uh, information as to where those services are. So with you, I guess it would be through the um, the NHS um, and uh, maybe there's a, a general service, but getting to regular coping. So minus domestic violence, you know, maybe, maybe you're just in a stressed relationship. Maybe you've been dealing with some depression, some anxiety, things like that. So one of the things I say to people, number one, is be very kind to yourself as to what you need on a daily basis. So you know, it might seem like life is a little easier if you're getting to work from home, because uh, a lot of people are finding that a little easier um, with because they don't have the office stress, you know, but you're still, you know, going to have, you know, down days, right? You're still going to have days that just it's overwhelming to turn on the news to, to uh, hear the kids, you know, or deal with your neighbors around or whatever the case is, yeah. you know, so so be kind to yourself and listen to what what your body needs, what your mind needs. It's okay to want to bury your head in the pillows for a day. If it turns into three days and you've checked out of life, then reach out for some help. But definitely on a daily basis, get 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 some outdoor time in. You know, you still can go outside and access the sunlight. The vitamin D is going to be really healthy. It's really important to keep yourself on a on a regular sleep cycle. So if you're not working, you know, try not to start like watching videos till two or three in the morning because I'm hearing a lot of that go on and it really screws up screws up your system and it gets it hard to kind of manage and you feel even more isolated because if you're up till two or three and you start wanting to like, and you get really lonely in those late night hours, that's not the time you're going to be able to call your friends. Right. You know, so if you stay on the same kind of normal schedule, you can access that. The other thing is to call your friends to reach out, even send text messages, even if you're not the most, you know, um, outgo you know um you know most connected outgoing person reach out maybe to a coworker that you know and be like hey how's it going you know and just to have some connection if you are home alone and totally isolated um 
on that note, for those people who are like not in a really bad position, except that this is an inconvenience, right? Because we have some people in the world right now that are devastated and, you know, are out of work, trying to figure out what's going to happen. Is the business that they work for reopening all that stuff, right? So some people are feeling it so bad and right now and trying to figure out how they're going to feed their family, all of that stuff. And then we have other people who are just, you know, inconvenienced because things are closed and we have a stay at home order. So think about who you know that may be more isolated and more introverted than you and definitely make effort to reach that person. You know, you don't have to do it as like, oh, I'm checking to see how you're doing, but you can just say, hey, how's it going? You know, what do you, you know, I'm looking for something to watch on Netflix. Like, what are you watching lately? Like, and, you know, and just reach out to them. Um, on that note, when you do have connection, I just had a session the other day and a woman complained. She said, oh gosh, she's like my, my three best friends from, from high school. Like they always want to go walk together. And this woman's now, I think in her forties. So they've known each other a long time. They have different political views. And she, she said something about that. She was checking out, not going. And then she told me that it was because when they got together, one of the women just kind of always talked in a, you know, about all the news and her opinion. And she's like, I just want a break, you know? So I told her, I said, well, then call your friends and say like, let's make this a break time. We're going to talk about normal things, right? Because in the course of this unusual space, normal things are still going on. You're still having dinner every night. So, hey, what do you have for dinner this week? You know, you're still binge watching Netflix or whatever. And you say, hey, what are you guys watching lately? What are the kids working on for school? Those are normal questions, even if school is happening at home. Yeah. You know, even if yeah. like, you know, the, the Netflix is more than you normally are doing. Like, but those are still like little normal things. So life is still has some semblance of normalcy yeah. um, when you take out the context of it. So take those little breaks and certainly take breaks from the news. You know, nothing new is going to happen that's going to impact your life in any great way if you took 24 to 48 hours off of the news or social media altogether. And so some people really can benefit emotionally by just shutting off the devices. Or even I tell people like, delete the app from the phone. It doesn't delete your stuff. You can always just reinstall the app and it'll have all your, your original stuff on there. But like, take it off your phone if you're really prone to kind of overchecking things. Um, shut the news off for, for that amount of time. I mean, you know, if there was something that was so impactful, you had to know about it, your friends would be calling you and telling you or somebody in your family would be like, hey, did you hear this thing? And, and you'd, you'd get the news that you need to have. But, you know, um, there's nothing happening right now that is so critical that you couldn't just shut it off for a couple of days. Yeah. It's almost like you can help each other there a little bit, isn't it, Colleen? Like, um, you know, you know I, I, like I said, everyone's in the same sort of uh, situation, the same, the same situation. Um, but you can always cool. help each other by, mm-hmm. by sort of changing the dynamic of what you, what, what you talk about. And um, you can make things a little bit easier. Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, in general, I I like to advise people to do that, like with couples and date nights, like take a break from talking about like regular life and focus on that immediate moment. That's something else too. You know, like when you go on your walk, when you have dinner with your family, you focus on the immediate moment. Like how's the food taste? What, you know, what do you, what's the, what does it smell like? I mean, it's, it's silly, but like you can, you can find ways to focus in on the moment and take yourself out of all of the stress and which is a really great coping mechanism to be able to, in a healthy way, to compartmentalize and shut it down for a little while. 
So yeah, everybody can help each other uh, and, and switch things up. So it just takes kind of being a bit more, sometimes a bit more open or even a little bit more assertive than we might normally be if we're really feeling overwhelmed, you know, or to even just say that, hey, I'm really overwhelmed. Can we not do this today when we go and meet up, right? So. I was going to ask uh, something you said to the response to the first question. You said that normally that, you know, your, your, your clients don't know mm-hmm. much about you, but one thing that you share with your clients mm-hmm. currently is that you're going through mm-hmm. the stress, the, the pandemic, mm-hmm. as everybody else. Has that altered the dynamic of your sessions? Obviously, I wouldn't sure. to go into detail specifically sure. client for client, but how, have you been able to share that? And has that helped in some way? It, do you it feel? does. And, and, it, and for many therapists never share anything about their life. I'm one of those therapists where like, they might know a little bit about my life. I mean, I podcast, I talk about my life in the podcast, some some major things that went on the last couple of years. So a lot of them have actually heard that we don't talk about it in session, but they might say, how's things at home? How's your sister? Cause I take care of a sister. Right. And so, um, so they will ask about that. Um, and I just give the short, Oh, everything's good. You know, like we're managing, you know, and, and we do that, but, um, but there are times where like, you know, we do kind of get, I do catch myself some days with certain clients kind of really like commiserating with them over what they're seeing when they go out, how they're feeling about certain things. Or they'll say, how are you doing this? Like what happens for you when you go out and you see this happen? And I might share that if I think it's going to be relevant to helping them. Right. So, and that's why whenever we share, we've always got this, this, you know, uh, directive when we, when we're studying to, to be therapists is, you know, there are some, some ideas that, you know, you can, you don't have to be the black Uh, the blank slate any longer, you know? Um, And if you're going to share part of yourself, it is an ultimate, it is to ultimately benefit the client's work, right? So if I share a little bit of myself, it may allow them to go a little deeper in their process. So that I've done for years. It's just in a general way, right? Like when I was like, unattached, you know, in relationships or whatever. And they knew I was like out and dating. If I had other therapy clients that were my similar age or whatever, they might say, you know, they might ask something about that or say like, well, it must be weird for you as a therapist to date, you know? And I would, I would share a little bit of like funniness, you know, to kind of normalize myself a little bit with them, you know? And, um, so, so they know a little bit of the general stuff, but nor, but we're not normally going through the exact same process, right? That my, my clients have, you know, Mm -hmm. career type jobs. So they're all still working and they're working from home and we all live within probably about 20 minutes of each other. So we're going to similar stores and having similar experiences. So there's this kind of, you know, that collective, like we're all in this together. So in that part, like, I think it helps the process. Um, Certainly it will be interesting to see what happens on the flip side of it when we do get back into the office, when that time comes, you know, Um, to kind of see how do we kind of normalize it again and just, and start moving forward and really focus on what they need then to kind of get get back to the goals maybe that they had for themselves along the way when when this got interrupted. Uh, what long term mental health mm-hmm. implications do you see happening during and then yeah. after the lockdown? So 
you know, the, the financial stress and what that may do to society, to individuals and their, and families, you know, I think is still yet to be seen. Um, certainly people are feeling that now, um, where, what I think is that we're going to have a lot of post-traumatic stress, uh, happening in the future. This is, this is a collective trauma happening across the society. Right. And, some people have gone through trauma already in life. Some people haven't. We all process it differently, but certainly uh, we're going to see a lot more PTSD happening. Um, this is this would be called acute stress for those people who maybe are uh, trying to support families on, you know, maybe minimum wage incomes that have been let 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 go and are waiting on on unemployment, things like that, like this would be considered acute stress. Um, so I think we're going to need uh, a lot of pe a lot of therapists really skilled in trauma work um, and and healing. Uh, I the isolation is something that's very dangerous for those who may be prone to suicidal thoughts. And on that end, right now, we don't have any like real, like full numbers because it's still in process, right, as to what the impact is on suicidal behavior right now. And there's different phenomenons going on with that for some people. Um, you know, I, I've seen some of this, but I've also kind of did a little bit of, you know, checking on it to kind of see if it's a bigger uh, picture, if it's um, happening around is that some of the, some people who may have been prone to uh, suicidal thoughts somewhat got somewhat of a break in that all of a sudden, lots of people also feel really isolated. Lots of people feel alone. And in some ways that normalizes their experience or they get that other people now can, um, can get what they feel. So that's been an interesting process. And then it also, you know, um, goes into almost like a helping mode for those uh, who might go, well, I need to help out and it'll um, to help others, right? Because people who get suicidal are often very deeply feeling people, right? They feel a lot. And um, so in some ways that's been cathartic and allowed them to set the, their own feelings aside to get in the mix of maybe helping and volunteering in some way. Um, and then of course we do have some people where it just has impacted in horrible ways. And there are, you know, definitely uh, suicides being completed. And um, I don't know yet if, um, if it is more than what would normally happen during this period of time. Um, I did hear about some younger people um, uh, taking their lives locally when this first happened in ways that like nobody had expected uh, prior to that. So I don't know if that's going to be a demographic thing that comes out that uh, as to who is affected more. Um, so it's, uh, you know, on, on that end too, right, then, uh, you know, if, if, if people are considering getting help at all, it's really important that they find qualified therapists as opposed to coach, like life coaches. I have to just kind of put that out there. We live in a society now where there's a lot of life coaching happening and this is so dire that you know, you need someone who has not only, you know, like, like a life coach works from their experience, right? And since I did this, I can help you, right? But, but the licensed therapist has been trained, they've studied, they've passed, you know, board exams. So, so you want people that are really qualified to help you. This is a very serious matter. And just because somebody got out, 
outside of their depression at some point in life, it does not mean that that's going to be exactly the way that you would. So you'd want to go to someone who understands the modalities of treatment. So I think we're going to have um, many years with much more need for mental health services. And unfortunately, what's happening right now is um, access is harder because there's less people working and many county or state funded programs are not actually going to have enough money to get through this because they can only service, they only get paid by how they, who, how many people they service. And if their clients aren't coming for therapy because they're focused on how they're going to get through, you know, like, and just haven't gone for therapy for whatever reason they've chosen not to. So they're, the clinic's numbers are down, so they're not going to be able to sustain it. And from what I've seen, at least here in this country, the government certainly is not paying uh, enough mind to the funds that are needed to keep the systems going. Uh, so I think it's going to be a really um, difficult uh, place to be in about, I would say, probably a year to two years, depending on how this goes for the amount of people that may be realizing that all of a sudden they, they maybe can't shake some of the fear of, well, what if something else happens, which is, you know, uh, a trauma symptom or the doom and gloom that has come over everything. Right. Um, or just the financial devastation. I mean, finances and relationships are two big factors in suicides. So you know, not to mention all the panic stuff. I mean, but panic, you know, we're going to have lots of people with panic attacks happening too. So, yeah, so it's not, it's not a very happy position, <laughs> you know, I, like it's, it's, it's going to be a very needed service. So I'm hoping that once all the medical, the general medical treatment of the actual pandemic get starts to subside that we get through the cycles that we apparently are expected to go through that we come around to go okay and the next step is then treating all the emotional impact that was what that was done through this yeah um i i, I agree with that queen i think um i, th I think therapists are particularly going to be uh, a lot more in demand uh once once all the uh, medical you know the when i say medical i mean the actual viruses sort of taken yes. and uh, you know people have been cured from it uh, so i think therapy is going to be a lot um you know it's, got, it's going to be an in-demand service so to speak mm -hmm. yes yes and right and, and if we you know one of the things that i was i was um hoping we could touch on too is about this idea that like there's there's trauma and then there's grief going on too because we have all the people that are like the like this weekend here in the States is graduation weekend for colleges and schools. Right. And, um, and so like, there's all the graduation, the births. I, I have a client who's pregnant. She's like, I thought I'd be going through this happy time with every, all my friends getting to watch me grow and do all this stuff. And she's home. I mean, and it's nice and comfortable, but like, it's, you're changing the expectations of what you thought this year was going to be. And there's a lot of grief and that in itself is a process that people, um, can go through, which is a, pretty much a roller coaster of, a, of, of different emotions. Um, so there's accepting of all of that too. I mean, I can talk about the different emotions connected to grief or the different stages of grief. Um, you know, yes. Yeah. Right. The five stages that's, that's of grief. Right? Ross, isn't it? So, right, um, and they don't go in order and they don't, um, and, and they don't all last the same amount of, you're pissed at everybody. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, denial, anger, depression, 
bargaining and acceptance, right? So uh, it's a bit of a roller coaster and it can come and go also. How are you finding mm-hmm. that? Because obviously the, you talk about trauma and grief. And, and a lot of clients you're speaking to, is, is, there, a, um, is there a mixture of two? And, and how hard is that to identify? And then almost, I imagine you'd have to deal with them as two separate things rather than well, um, one not, particular issue? Not necessarily in the current moment, right? Because we're, because in them bringing up, like, you know, somebody might say to me, well, you know, um, they, uh, a lot of people are talking about anger at, you know, seeing people uh, without masks in the grocery store, right? So if they're on the side where they, they feel like, hey, I need to do, they feel that the mask is helpful to protecting others and, and, and things, or they have, you know, um, anyway, there's that big debate, right? So I get a lot of people complaining that they get mad that somebody doesn't have a mask on. And, um, and we can talk about, well, you know, with this, right? So this is this, tra- this trauma that's happening to everybody around them. And, you know, for them, you know, and, and, and the grief of how life has changed is like, then wearing the mask is the sign that life has changed. And some people we know don't want to accept change, don't want to like change. So that one person is in like denial, right? Like we can say that if we get on the side, like for my client, I have to support them and go, okay, if their position is that wearing the mask is the healthiest thing to do right now, and they're going to follow, follow the, the dictates that we get, then, you know, then for them, it's like, well, and, and for them, they're in acceptance that this is what it is. The other person that doesn't wear the mask, we could say would be in denial, right? From their perspective. And so they're in two different stages of grief in that moment under this umbrella of trauma. And we don't know what traumas they've gone through already in life or not, and how that may be showing up. Because we also, you know, one of these things when, when you have trauma, a current trauma often elicits reminders of past trauma. So when I say that about like, you know, not wanting to accept change, a lot of people are taking a position that this is like unconstitutional and it's taking away their freedom and all that stuff. And then I go, okay, well, if anybody ever had a traumatic issue around uh, a controlling parent, an abusive parent, um, an abandoning one, any of that gets replayed in the government saying you need to wear a mask and them going, no, I don't have to. Like I have my personal freedoms. You don't get to tell me what to do. It's kind of like fighting with the old, you know, like controlling parents saying you can't control me anymore. So there's all that process. So it actually, Mm -hmm. you know, that earlier question too, about like, how's it changed my therapy? There's a lot more theoretical type of, or diagnostic chatter going on in my sessions where we're talking about the process of trauma. We're talking about the process of grief. We're looking at other people they're coming in contact with and exploring what are the possibilities and then getting back onto what their need is in that moment. Okay. So when you feel that anger, what do you do? How do you get out of it? And then we talk about breathing. We talk about, you know, they, they can just mind their own business and keep going. They can do their six feet apart and social distance and kind of do the intervention on that emotion. But we do talk about it kind of all all in tandem because it's happening all at the same time. Because we would often say, right, we would think normally like there's a car accident. So there's the trauma, the grief comes after. And it's not even just because somebody died, but the grief of, oh, now I'm scared, you know, like, like the, like, like what happens if I, you know, uh, buy the same car again? I mean, people have like funny associations when they go through a trauma, you know, or how do I drive again or all those things. And someday they might be really gung ho. Someday they might be 
afraid of it. It's all the stages of grief. So grief usually comes after trauma, we would say in a normal process. This is all happening at the same time. So it does get kind of dealt with all at the same time. And, you know, we're giving control away to our trusted governments. And we're almost relying on the data and their mm -hmm. advice um, to guide us. Um, but what we're finding here in the UK is that uh, the guidance isn't clear. So one minute they're saying that you can go outside for twice a day. Other times they're saying you can go into certain stores. Some people are not following any of the guidelines. So it's, and just going, going back to my point about control, I think if you're struggling mentally and if you've got demons, if you've got issues, I think control is really important, you know, to, to regain that control and feel like you've got some sense of stability yes. in your own mind. But we've lost that now. And then we, we've seen one of our good friends that we've known since we were kids. He, he had a, unfortunately, he had a mental breakdown and, you know, oh. we blocked everyone. And, it, and, and, and I think it's because he's just lost that control now. And it's almost we're just passengers in this sort of wartime mess. Yes. Um, right. And and that's the thing. Some people are going to have the wherewithal um, kind of already in their system and others are going to be more fragile um, and, and, and go through this differently. And I'm sorry to hear about your friend. And that's hard to watch when, when something like that happens um, with yeah. that. Right. So if that was the, you know, like what was the primary complaint for, for a client, it would be, you know, I'd be looking at, well, okay, right. You don't have control in that you're not allowed to do these certain things or, go to your job or like, or you're working from home and it's not working as well as you'd like it to, you know, so you lost that control, but then it's, um, how, what, what can you still get control over? Right. There's always something in your world that you can have control over. I mean, there's something and it might be little, but we have to pull out these little tiny exceptions to this gl global rule that, that you feel like you're under. Right. So it's, you can still, you're, you can't see your loved ones, but you can still Zoom with them. You can still Skype, FaceTime, whatever, and see their faces and talk to them live one-on-one. -on -one. It's not the same, but you still get to, you still have access to that. You know, you yeah. still, you can order the groceries. You can still be, if you're, you know, food stuff has been a big issue, right? So you can still order it, but yeah, you might not want, you might not feel comfortable going in the grocery store. So you order from one of the services and you, you have it delivered to you, right? You can still have control over that. You can still get the groceries that you want. Um, Amazon is still open for those that are like trying to like, um, people are trying to make their, their home more comfortable when they have the means, right? So it, there's a lot of shopping going on um, yeah. in that regard. And in that way, you're still controlling things. So if you have to be home, what are the things that you might've wanted to change? Is there something small that you can afford to change right now that could make your life a bit more comfortable while you are home more, right? And yeah. um, and so you, you try and pull out, it's always wonderful to find like the exception to the rule if the rule is stopping you from moving forward right where's the little loop the little loophole the little part that's not true about this narrative that you're telling yourself yeah. so that's where i would go with that person and then looking that's to see then for for someone like your friend it also would come with like building in resilience right what do we need to help them cope better right? So they're not shutting, shutting everything down, shutting everyone out. Because in fact, 
probably be really beneficial if his friends could, you know, have access to him right now. So it would be building resilience in that person and uh, helping them to tap into what other supports they may need to keep going forward when they're really starting to feel stuck and like they don't want to. Could you see that um, this lockdown could almost be in, in the future, a kind mm-hmm. of post-traumatic stress disorder in the, in the future? That we could have people who years from now could be coming mm-hmm. back to this and the experience they have. Oh, absolutely. I think we're going to have that going on for years and years. And yes, can it just develop later? Certainly, right? I mean, trauma symptoms, like the the quicker a person can get help when a trauma happens, the better the chance of uh, a a smoother recovery, right? And so... um, so on that regard, let's just say that a person was like, no, I'm getting through it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And the world reopens and they go back to work and they pick up the pieces and they're moving through it. And three years from now, five years from now, they, um, the, maybe they were in one of the businesses that shut down for a while and they had to go on employment. Right. So maybe then five years from now, they're working at a place that like, and the business just isn't doing well. And the business sends out a notice and says, sorry, by on Friday is going to be our last day. And all of a sudden that person might get like if they might have if their reaction is like way over the top of the panic that sets in of the, oh, my God, how am I going to feed my family? All those things that they might have gone through now, like that's that's trauma coming up. That's a post-traumatic stress reaction, right? And so, and show up later. And certainly, um, and that's why I'm saying like old old traumas are resurfacing for people now too. So, um, so we're seeing a lot of that as like in the people who are seeking help now, maybe people, like I said, a lot of them were, cl- like for me, were clients I already had that were just like, I need a little bit more reinforcement. I know that this is bringing up demons from the past. I know that this is making me feel certain ways that I felt before. And so for the person in the future, yeah, they might go, I don't know why this happened. All of a sudden I'm having panic attacks or they might, it might even be something more like even more mundane. It might be they're going to their job and there somebody in somebody gets sick or they start developing a fear of getting an illness, right? Or they hear that somebody has the flu and they start having panic attacks about like, what if I have to come in contact with customers that have the flu when we know that this is not the flu, but people make odd associations when there's trauma and right. Cause trauma, like kind of like puts a kink in the wires in the brain, we'll say, you know, and kind of messes up the signals that we're getting. So it messes up the way that we process it. And so, um, so in that regard, right, they're, they're going to go, well, why am I having panic attacks when I have to go to work when my coworker has the flu? Like, you know, and, and so that may be also one of these like post-traumatic stress reactions and some counseling could certainly help them with that um, at that time. But yeah, certainly the stuff can come up in the future. You know, people can, I mean, people, when they have trauma, like if something happens to them personally or something like, you know, we're talking about like the domestic violence or something before, right? So maybe, maybe they get out of the relationship five years from now, they're on a bus or on a train somewhere. And uh, I'm just going to stereotype that the man was the abuser, right? And so a man walks by the woman on the train, but he wearing the same cologne that the abuser wore and she hadn't smelled it in years. And all of a sudden the woman's having a panic attack, right? She may not need ongoing therapy for that, but that's how trauma shows up in these like odd little moments in life. And it depends on how a person reacts to that ongoing as to how much support they may need to, to repair that. 
what do you see as um what do you see as what do you see change wise for people in their people's livelihoods so mm-hmm. you know obviously you're you're a therapist and your your role's gone virtual uh-huh. um, the, the jobs we do separately all our jobs are now virtual do you see that particularly in, where you're based in california that has that lasting for a long time and then is mm-hmm. how important those right that's the part that i think that we're gonna have to like get more on top of in the future because and i think on this end right like i'd like to kind of like i think some really positive things can come out of this right about like all of a sudden all these companies that that were able to send people home and work now are looking at oh the employees do want to work we don't have to micromanage them or we don't even have to have them in the office you know and they they will work and they'll be productive and they'll meet goals and they'll get things done so i think that we have a culture that will shift to more of this either optional or just the new workplace is at home um and so um, like I heard yesterday, I think Twitter said that they're going to allow people to work from home forever now. Um, so which that one's interesting to me because I kind of envisioned that world where it might be helpful for the creative process to have people to bounce things off of. But it all depends on how people then do that connection with the workplace co-workers, right? Because you have that little culture that goes on. There's no culture. There's no company culture if everybody's working, you know, you know, in their own homes, we would assume. There may be creative ways to create a company culture if that happens. You know, we're seeing environmental, you know, positives. Here in San Diego, there was some study done and said like, in, in the month of, from from the middle of March to the end of April, the air quality improved 73%. So I, and the gas prices went down by like, I mean, we were paying like, I like four something a, a gallon and they went down to two something a gallon. I don't think we've seen these prices since like the early two thousands. So, um, so there's been, there's been like, you know, and then everybody's living a, a more simpler life. Right. Um, and learning that we don't have to have all this excess that we've been kind of yeah. being told by society that we need or that we need to be doing. So I think everybody's learning to live a little bit more slow, a little bit more focused in the moment because you can't go, well, next weekend, I'm going to look forward to this, you know, this new restaurant we're going to because the restaurant's been closed, right? So people get to focus on what are we doing right now, right? So I think a lot of positives are going to come out of this. I think a lot of cultural shifts are going to happen. I do think that we are going to have that through this, like it also, I mean, I'm having a Zoom happy hour tomorrow night with two of my roommates from college in 1990 that I haven't, you know, that up until very recently, I haven't done anything other than interact on Facebook with them for all these years. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of fun that it's kind of forced everybody's hands to go like, who are the people I really want in my life and connect with them. Um, And so, you know, but yet all these video modes have been around, you know, for many years. So, so I think all of that will happen, but I do think we're going to have to find a way to um, find company culture if companies start doing more virtual work. But in, and it's interesting in my profession um, itself, you know, we have rules that like I'm licensed in California um, with my degree. So like my board license is held and I'm a California licensed marriage and family therapist. And so I can't do therapy with somebody in New York. I can't do therapy with somebody in Florida or something um, across state lines. But through this, and we also weren't supposed to use FaceTime, Skype, any of these things um, to do services before. However, the minute this happened, because it was under HIPAA, which is our Privacy Practices Act for medical care, and 
the minute this happened, the insurance company started sending emails saying, we don't care, just see your people however you can see them. We understand you're not going to see them in person. We're going to pay for telehealth for those who take insurance, right? We're going to pay for the telehealth. You can do this. You can even see them across state boundaries if you know that they were sheltering in place or that they were on vacation or on a work trip or wherever and, um, you know, got are staying like at their parents' house in another state, you can, you can do, you can cross state lines and continue your services with them because we're not really supposed to be abandoning our clients. So there's all of that. And so it changed that. So I'm really hoping, and now they're even talk uh, recently as a petition going around to see if we can get like a full national license where we could just have one license, one set of restrictions, you know, one set of expectations that we need to make, you know, professionally and pass um, to, uh, to be able to just not worry about that anymore and just open up our boundaries to be able to help the people that we would best help based on who they are and what they need as opposed to where they live. So um, that's really, like for me, really exciting. So I think maybe there's probably other professions might see that there's shifts in that way that will open up doors for them uh, for how they work that they didn't other have or that they were fearful that they were going to get sanctioned for before. So yeah, I think a lot of good, I, I think a lot of change and positive change will come of it. I think just, just some of the stuff that yeah. you uh, touched on, absolutely. And I think it's a case of people being forced to go out of their comfort zone a little bit and, and use the technology that we have to, um, to basically get our, get yes. our stuff done. Um, about the sort of ways of working. So mm-hmm. I know, I think his name's Jack Dorsey, is it the, the Twitter guy? Um, so I think Dave said, uh. work from home forever. Uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg has said something similar. <laughs> so you guys in California are actually leading the way with, with this type of sort of attitude, which is good. Um, I work for a bank, Colleen, <laughs> and you know those skyscrapers in, in uh. London and Wall Street, you know, with those big financial skyscrapers. Well, they actually, oddly enough, they could be a thing yeah. of the past because you need lifts and you need to get into these, uh, I think you guys call them elevators. So you've mm-hmm. got like... Yeah, the lifts, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, you know, we've got elevators that you've got like 50 people outside the elevator queuing to get in. So if you've got like 8,000 people in the skyscraper, mm-hmm. there's just no way you're going to be able to social distance. Right. Um, and then there's there's also, um, right, and then, then the negative side of things, I actually personally think that like commercial real estate, right, is going to tank at least for a little while until they figure out what's going to be the new corporate norm for how people work, right? Um, and there will always be people, just like there's been companies that didn't, didn't adopt technology until the very last second. So there will always be the old school people that say, no, this is how we do it. This is how we've always done it. We're going to do it this way. Or businesses that just by the model of what they are just need to have the facilities and all those things. So there's all of that that will go on forever. So we'll have people that want certain things that always were the way that they were. Um, but right on... Um, uh, oh, education. That's the one place where, you know, I have, I have access to probably whether friends, clients, probably six or seven school teachers, some private, some elementary, some secondary level school teachers, some college. And, um, it just, you know, there's such a mixed bag as to who thinks this is a wonderful thing. My, my personal, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I don't know how, like, you know, 
young primary school students are are taking to, you know, seeing their teacher on a Zoom screen a couple of times a week and giving them homework packets. But yeah. on that end, those kids don't know anything else. Like we, you know, yeah. we didn't grow up with technology, or at least I didn't. And, you know, but kids now at two years old are being handed iPads and playing on stuff. So they're raised that way. They type, they, they know, so th they won't know any different if they don't know any different, but again, then you have to get the social part in there too. Right. And there's also been a movement around here for a long time that like a lot of kids are homeschooled. That, I don't really understand that because it's not really by a licensed teacher, but um, it's by the parent, but the, you know, there's those people that have always had that model. So there's a model for it. What, what is interesting is when people get scared of scared just because they don't know it right so scared because they don't know the technology or just self-defeatist they say oh i'm never going to learn how to do this or oh how do i do this on here share my screen on zoom i mean the reality is it's pretty simple but they just get so intimidated because they may not be people that normally access these things so there will be a learning curve i think some things will have to go back but i also know like you're right the social distancing cannot happen at schools we don't have the facilities we have so many kids in the classrooms. Um, and it's funny, I just heard, I was uh, listening to an audiobook, Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you guys like uh, are into him or not, but he has this, uh, one of his current books. And uh, it was a study, and I always wondered, you know, the difference between small classrooms and big classrooms. And studies have found like that you could have 30 kids in a classroom and it doesn't make an impact on the education as having the same as having, you know, 12 kids. Like there's no difference in, the, in small classrooms and big classrooms in the outcome comes of the students. So on that end, like without the social distancing, all the complaints people have made about like the classrooms are too big, you know, too many kids in them really don't hold a lot of merit, according at least to those studies that he was citing. And, but now we have this movement of like the kids have to social distance. And I'm, I'm hearing through the rumor mill and stuff that certain schools here are not going to even open until there's a vaccine. And then you have the whole vaccine debate and all those things that go on. So this is going to be a long-term process. And and, um, you know, are they going to build facilities? What are they going to do? So maybe they'll use those empty skyscrapers in New York as classrooms. I don't know. But <laughs> but uh, to put the kids socially distanced, I don't know. But um, yeah. I think a lot of uh, those things will have to change, right? And have to figure something out because you can't do everything differently. And so, like, we're going to have to figure out some things. But, but, but one of you mentioned that social aspect. And so just like company culture, if kids are going to be home a lot, you know, the the school, it's probably on the school to um, make sure that they have integrated some type of component of social interaction that is outdoors, socially distant, and yeah. still fun for the kids the way that they would have had in in, in gym class or PE class, you know, um, along the yeah. way. Um, so that, because that is on the school, right? I mean, the parents certainly too, but, but the school would normally have yeah. it during the day. You've You've just uh, made yeah. me think of something. Actually, there's a there's a guy. Actually, he's, he's from California. A guy called Damien Fahey. Uh, he's a he's a writer for Family Guy, and it, he made a point mm -hmm. about how oh. um, how most adults are socially inept. Um, we're, we're just mm -hmm. most people uh, <laughs> tend to be socially awkward. So, and that was us going through the school <laughs> system. So now imagine kids not going through the school system, staying at home on a Zoom. Like, how yeah. socially more awkward is everyone going right. to be? Right. And well, and then what are the, there's, there's that. And then there's like, and then the parent, like we also live in a society where for 
couple of generations now, we've needed to have two parent incomes to sustain the cost of living in most of the states, you know, and probably over there where you guys are here, I hear London, at least really expensive. And um, so, uh, you know, what do you do now when you have kids home? Like you can't, you can't leave a five-year-old and a seven-year-old home uh, to, to do schoolwork, you know, so you have to be home. So like, where, where does society change? Like, is our cost of living going to finally like crack and all of a sudden everybody can afford the lives that we're living again, you know, um, or what's going to happen so that we don't have to have these two parent households or what happens with the one parent households? Where do we find the funding to help those parents so that they can still get out in the world and go work? Um, so, so there's a lot of shifting that will have to change in order to make this become like, if this is going to be the new normal, even if it's going to be the new normal for the next year, it's going to, it's going to really be a hardship on people, but there's right. The social awkward stuff. You can't have the parent being the only person that the kid comes in it in, in in interaction with, you know, during the day in person, right? We need to have friends. We need to know how to make friends and all that stuff. And you're right. There's a lot of socially awkward adults who went through, you know, all the big public school systems and still are a bit socially awkward. So yeah, <laughs> it's an odd perspective. Um, so Colleen, just while yes. we've got the issues, was there anything you wanted to raise? Uh, you've got sort of oh. this platform. Was there anything you wanted to plug or a new product or something to say? This oh, so the floor is yours. Well, so. sure. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I also um, do host a podcast for the last five years, and uh, so coaching through chaos, and um, and that we're, you know, five years, you know, probably fifty, sixty. Um, episodes of it because um, I don't do it on a regular basis. I'm back on it now, but I bring people experts to help them manage different stressors in life that can cause some chaos. So um, certainly we've got all sorts of experts on that show. So Coaching Through Chaos, you can find my main website is coachingthroughchaos.com. If anybody is listening and they would like some coaching, I do do coaching across state lines so they can call me up about that or send me an email. And then, you know, uh, I also host um, a lighthearted podcast as well that deals with psych and movies uh, called Shrink to Shrink. And people can find that um, online as well, where all the podcasts are and myself and another therapist. And we kind of banter back and forth about one movie every month for the last few years, um, which is kind of fun, helps people learn a bit about relationships and life um, through the context of the scenes in the movie. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, I'm on the socials if people heard this and uh, benefit from it. I'd love to hear from them that way. And I'm at Dr. Colleen Mullen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I, I've got my hands in a whole bunch of um, projects. So, so those you, are my those are my primary projects. <laughs> you sound like a, a a busy woman, Colleen. I I am, and I I enjoy it though. I only work on things that I absolutely enjoy doing. Awesome speaking to you today. Uh, just hearing a, a, a professional perspective on this stuff has been great for us, and I'm sure Rich and Pete uh, will agree with that as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really want to thank you, Colleen. It's, it's, it's Rich. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I really want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, we've it, it's it's good to get a, a professional's sort of point of view rather than myself, uh, myself, Aiden, and uh, Peter just. Talk, talking about things which we're not actually qualified in. <laughs> so, yeah. um, it's, well, it's, it's, it's really good to get get a professional perspective, you know, so, somebody that actually knows uh, the, the ins mm -hmm. and outs, so to speak. 
Well, thank you. And I appreciate that you guys wanted to have a professional on um, and and bring, you know, some of that perspective to your audience, because there's a lot of opinions going on. There's a lot of confusion. And I appreciate when people want to uh, actually seek out, you know, the people that are working in it to uh, to talk about it. So thanks a lot for ha for having me on.